Park Flyer Podcast, Episode 6, Receivers. Welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of the new RC Flyer. Join your hosts, Michael and Jay, as they take flight at the park. Now on with the show. All right, everybody, welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast. We are uh, joined today by our co-host, Jay. Hey, it's Jay and the AK. And today, Jay, we have a very special guest. It's uh, Larry Martin from Colorado Springs. Larry, how are you doing? Just fine. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well. Hopefully, you're staying uh, nice and cool or, or warm, I guess, in your case. It has been chilly today. <laughs> Did you get to fly today? Um, yeah. We um, got to fly at about 24, 25 degrees and five or six miles per hour out of the north. Made your eyes water a lot, but it's still a lot of fun. I don't know how your eyes watering is a lot of fun, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your frozen fingers. We were flying slow sticks and modified little airplanes, so we didn't have to worry too much about it either way. We kind of took them up and kited them around in the wind, you know, so just fun stuff. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's nice. Hey, so Larry, can you tell us, can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your group of guys you fly with up, up uh, in Colorado? I fly with several groups up here. We have what we call the church group, and the church group is made up of uh, just individuals from various clubs that show up at this particular location where we're allowed to fly whenever we want. They even set up a nice little sign that says low-flying aircraft, and in the parking lot, they put down a uh, runway for us with markings, stuff down the middle. It's really cute. I fly there with a group of guys. Uh, most of them aren't there when it gets this cold. Uh, some of them take off for you know, Florida and Texas and so forth, and they're gone. But um, some of us diehards that stick around, we we fly down there, you know, like this morning. And uh, uh, I still go out to a field. We joined a field here. So I'm like parts of three different groups here. Also the Glider Flying uh, Soaring Society, which is a lot of guys that are – we even have a rocket scientist, believe it or not. The other thing that we uh, we have out there is a regular field where we can use uh, big power planes and so forth. So, you know, to ask me kind of what we have, it's a big variety of a lot of different people. Nice. Sounds like sounds like you're a busy guy. Uh, try to be. Well, we had an episode not too long ago uh, on radios. We talked a little bit uh, to our special guest, Mike Barcelou. He had a Tyrannus. And I uh, understand you, uh, you're you familiar with radios as well and more of the Spectrum line, is, if, if I recall. The Spectrum is my uh, primary radio. I did try the line that he's talking about where you can put the open source software on it. And uh, I, I had a Skyfly or FlySky, whichever way it goes. Yeah, FreeSky. FreeSky? Okay. This particular one, we did put the software on it. It was more cumbersome to use, but like even Mike from AK said, it's it's just your ignorance of how to use this thing. And once you learn how to use it, it's okay. It's just there still are some other shortcomings that I think are major. And this is what I was telling Mike about here, Mike in Arizona, is that one of the big concerns is that you can test these things out. We actually have a location where we can uh, use radios and so forth. And we'd use a DX9 and we use that FreeSky radio and we tried different receivers uh, with both, tried them at different polarizations and everything over a 2.25 mile 
range. We got him all the work. His worked fine. Uh, his being the, I can't remember what that protocol is, but it is different than the DSMX and DSM2s and DSM. I think they even have a new one, DSMR. I think they call that the uh, OpenTX for the for the FR Sky. That's the firmware that Mike was talking about. It was called OpenTX. Okay. Yeah, that that's on the radio. But I think Larry's talking about is the protocol that the radio actually sends its signal out. Basically, he's talking about the protocol that the radio is, ta- is broadcasting over. I'm I'm not I, I don't know what, what the Free Sky Radio what they normally what their protocol is, but so ours is the DSM and the DSMX. Those are the no, ones that the Spectrum uses, right? And then the the FR Sky uses something different. Uh, yes, as well as the Taba, they're all different. They use their own type. That's why you've noticed that once you lose signal, you gain it back very quickly with the uh, Free Sky type uh, radios and receivers. Whereas, like as one second, that's what we identified on this end when we tested them. Whereas the uh, spread spectrum is actually about five seconds for it to link and find its frequency and lock on. Now, five seconds can be a lifetime in this sport. We talked about that before, but a one second versus five seconds, if you're low to the ground or you're doing 3D and you lose something like that, it, it's troublesome that five seconds can be you know, devastating to your aircraft. You were saying that you, were, uh, that you tested various receivers. Is that what you were talking about, that you, you had many different brands of receivers that you tested? Uh, that's correct. We tested uh, Spectrum. We tested Lemons. And we tested orange. Uh, we tested two different lemon ones, one with the gyro that has the single antenna. And we also tested those inexpensive units that have the two dipoles coming off of each end away from each other. We tested and found that the orange would not even work at two and a quarter miles. It had, we had to come in to 1.25 miles to get it to even work. But even the ones that we tested at two and a quarter, if you changed polarity between the antenna, the polarization, so that if you have both your radio up in the air and your antenna up in the air, it'll work fine. But as soon as you turn one of them 90 degrees, that polar lack of polarization would cause a problem and you would get a dropout. But we found that they didn't drop out at all at one and a half miles. That's why you kind of want to have an antenna system that's either diverse, the diversity systems, or you want to have dual antennas or take one of them, leave it vertical and leave the other one horizontal. So you, have, you cover both those polarizations. The main thing we discovered was that even though they'd work at two and a quarter miles, if you brought that radio and and system in, we would do a a range test. At full power range test, it would fail at about 50 to 100 feet if you're in a very noisy environment. We fly at this church area, and they have a, a repeater sitting on a tower, which is very close. They have all kinds of medical offices around there that are shooting streams to the main hospital and and all that interference would knock those radios out so they cannot even be utilized at all in that location so it's just something to think about so larry are we we're actually discussing that the the receivers versus the radios right the radios are putting out a transmitter signal and the receivers that will interconnect or handshake with the radio that you have. So if we have a DSMX or we have a DSM2, uh, those are the type of receivers. And I think the ones you mentioned, the lemons and the spectrums and the orange, they all have that capability so I could use them with my spectrum radio. We're not talking about the signal going to uh, coming out of the radio. We're talking to the, the signal coming into the receiver. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, well, I think that's about the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
are, are they one and the same? I mean, uh, my the radio sending the signal out one direction, and then you just said to turn your your antennas. 90 degrees to each other, but you're talking about the receiver. I'm talking about the receiver antenna, but it's in reference to the transmitter because it's, it's an envelope that is radiating from this antenna or antenna on the radio. So by changing the polarization, you're changing that envelope to a point where you will get a dropout because uh, the signal is not as strong at that angle, I guess you could say. But, and even if you throw that all out and forget about that, um, as long as you keep your antennas, uh, one turn one way, one the other, you shouldn't have to worry too much about it or run like a nine, uh, our DX nines and the 18s. And I think even some of the, the new gen twos, they put that dual antenna system in there. So that you actually do have one that's in the little stem that sticks out. It's polarized vertical. And then you have one in the handle, which is polarized horizontal. So you're getting that effect, which really cuts down on the dropouts for brownouts. Well, that makes that makes sense. I just, you know, sometimes if our listeners are new, I just want to make sure that we're talking to them that they understand what we're talking about. So, basically, the radio itself has a, a radio signal that goes out, and then you have to have the receiver that actually accepts that. There's many different DSM two and DSM X type receivers out there. Some are more expensive than others. They can be used with multiple radios. Uh, however, FR skies and the Spectrum ones, I think, are not compatible. No. No way. So you actually have to have a module on the FR Sky, or you have to have something different. You can't buy a Spectrum receiver and use it on your FR Sky. Or, yeah, your FR Skies. Right now, the FR Sky. The great thing about those is that you can buy modules that you could run Futaba. You could buy a, a Spectrum module, a JR module, a Futaba module. Plug them in the back, and then you can link your that radio to one of their receivers, a Futaba receiver to a Futaba module you know, accordingly. Um, but you just can't plop any receiver in there and just think it'll just work. It has to be compatible. Well, and that is, and it's a brand to a brand, yes. right, Larry? Yes. Well, pretty much. I mean, like we've discussed in one of your previous podcasts, you did come up with third-party units that are using basically a Spectrum chipset. And it does have a lot of capability to perform exactly the same as what a Spectrum receiver would do. You're right. They do have to be different. I did have this other radio. I was able to put in an orange module, which was a JR. And so it would work with the Spectrum receivers, DSM-2. Problem with that is when I was listening to your other podcast is there is an issue with those that because they are a third party, the Chinese are making these uh, orange units and can be a duplication out there. So that let's say that you walk into a, a big group of guys flying uh, Spectrum radios, and you fire up your module that's riding on your uh, open source radio, you could, in fact, knock their plane right out of the air by firing that up. That's one of the big problems with it. What they recommend you do is you go to the site and get everybody's radios turned on and, and make sure that when you turn yours on, you don't have, they can still function. You're not interfering with them. So that's one real bad part. That's why mine's in a box. I no longer use it. I uh, donated the radio to the club because if they get those guys out miles from town where there isn't any interference, those uh, open source radios, Tranus or whatever, work great out there. And some of the guys use them because you can put so many channels on it and you can do all these great functions. So the glider guys love it, but usually you only find a 
couple, three of them that are willing to risk their $5,000 airplanes on one of these radios that could interfere or drop out. And as you guys talked about, you guys hit so many good things on that other podcast that had all the joysticks and are, the gimbals are better and so forth on the nines and 18s of the spectrum radios that it kind of offsets some of the great advantages that you do get from the other radio. And, and I think the biggest thing that spectrum has that only spectrum has is they have model match. The model match feature lets you make sure that when you connect to your airplane, if it starts to function, you're connected to that airplane. You do not have the wrong model selected. You can't select the wrong model sure you guys know about this and that's what i think is great well i know that happened to me when i first started uh the radio that i originally had it would just connect to whatever and i know when i i only could afford a receiver or two that i'd i'd have one model selected and then i'd plug it into something else and i'd start the the plane would start up or it would do something funky because i had a different model selected but the receiver had no clue it, it was dumb it didn't know you know i'm only for this you know, for this plane model or, or whatever, it would just take the last plane model or just go, it would just go do whatever. It's crazy. So the, the, the Chinese, you're telling me that the Chinese were actually using multiple, I don't know what the word is for that, but it's, it's like the old 72 megahertz. You had to, you know, the specific handshake between your radio and the receiver was duplicated, what, every five times or 10 times in, in on the production line? Yes. You're, you're, Pretty much right there. It's got, um, they, they, these particular modules will come with uh, five different serial numbers per se. And so you can switch it so that it can default to a different one if you do have interference at the field with your particular model. I mean, there's so many millions of keys. I don't know if they call them keys. I can't remember the term. You gotta understand this is like three years ago when I was doing this. They do have different keys. You can actually get into a problem but likelihood that you're going to have someone there with your key number is is rare, but it can happen and it does happen from what I hear. Wasn't the advantage of the DMSX and the DSMX2 or the DSM2 and the DSMX is that it, it would constantly shift kind of like your garage door opener. Every time you push the button, it shifts to a new frequency or a new code, so to speak. Well, <laughs> I would say that's what the DMX, the DMSX is for. Uh, it allows up to, I want to say, 100 or 200 users to be used at one time. Uh, and that's the problem with uh, the original DSM. If you got a, a large group of people, 50, about 50 guys together, you could start having problems with them overriding each other and, and having the wacky thing of taking control of somebody else's plane. So, yeah, that's partially true. They've tried since then with the new airware and the new uh, Spectrum receivers with the DSMX2 is to get away from some of that. Oh, most definitely. That's that's definitely what one of the roles that they're trying to do. Because think about it. Most most of the time you show up at the field and people just turn the radios on now. Where 10 years ago, that was a big no-no. You had to go get your flag, pull it off the thing, make sure you're on that one frequency. I'll say that with the new radios, have they have bad habits. No longer does anybody walk up to a field or when they show up and say, Hey, you know, who's flying what? Or do you, hey, I'm, I'm going to turn my radio on. Is that okay? You know, people just turn the radios on. Nobody even thinks about it. If there's this problem, like I had no idea with the free sky that that was an issue. I, I wouldn't think twice about it now. But now that I know, I'll definitely say something when I'm out there with that particular brand of radio. Larry, if you turn the spectrum on, it shouldn't interfere with the... the no, they can't interfere right? with each other if they have the same code or the same key. 
The one thing I want to clarify, though, is that the problem isn't necessarily with the open source if you're using PPM or something like that. The problem is if you're using the modules, if you use the JR Spectrum module plugged into that radio, now you're converting it to a J Spectrum type radio. That's where the problem is, not just the, you know, if you're using a Tranus out there and you're running, uh, it's, I can't remember, FHSSD or whatever the protocol is. If you're just running that or PPM, it's not a problem. So as long as they don't have FR Sky Radio with a Spectrum module in the back, if he turns his radio on, it shouldn't affect any of my airplanes. That's correct. But it, 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 it's interesting to know that because if I'm ever out at the field with someone that has one of those radios, it would be, behoove me, I guess, to go out and make sure that he's running his own receivers and not uh, some sort of a Spectrum uh, clone. Correct. Correct. We had a guy flying with the Sun Valley Flyers that's located down there in Arizona, um, Cape Creek area, and they were one of the guys came out with it, and I said, do you realize what you have here, how you could take out one of these guys' $70,000 jets that's flying down there once in a while? And he said, no, I didn't. So they, you know, he looked into it, and, of course, he never brought it to the field again with that module in it. Well, that's interesting. I wonder if uh, Mike, uh, AK Mike, knows that as well. That would be good to share with him. Because uh, he's he's more into that uh, programming and open source TX and dealing with all those guys as well. Now, Larry, you did a little work with uh, the Lemon guys as well. Yeah, back when they were trying to get their gyro system working, they basically were taking a six-channel system and making it a seven-channel if you didn't use the gyro. Or they made it a six-channel system with gyro. Um, but when they did that, the, when they started, they were using the aux frequency or aux one channel on a six, which is the highest channel. They were using that to turn on and off the gyro. Well, that's that's okay unless you're trying to use um, some kind of flapperons or something like that. So then they moved it to the gear channel on like version two or three. That then posed another problem. So if you're trying to run like a, a T28 or something like that, and you're trying to run flaps and you wanted to run uh, gear and so forth, then no longer can turn on and off the gyro. And, you know, in some cases that's not a big deal, but I like being able to turn the gyro off in case it gets into a problem or like when you got a new plane, uh, I don't just usually fly it right away with the gyro. I fly it without it. And so, so on and so forth. So I started working with them and they, they were willing to um, activate the bind, what we call the bind. Uh, they put aux 2 on there and and or ox three i can't remember what ox two they put ox two on there and we were then able to move things around you could get everything working gear flaps and everything even though you shut it off with gear you could move your flaps over to the to that other bind position and get it to function okay all in all i think version four pretty much takes care of most of the problems that they had with that thing but it's a beautiful little gyro for eighteen dollars and ninety cents yeah, I, I love using lemons. I've I've actually converted almost all to lemons now because they work really well with my DX18. I have a several that have gyros. Almost all my airplanes have the little gyros in them. Anyway, I buy the little six-channel ones for the park flyers, and those work really well, you know, for me as well because uh, it they're easy to to work with. You just put uh, put them on your park flyer. They're like five dollars. I buy them ten at a time, hundred dollars at a time. 
and uh, I have them pretty much on all of my park flyers. The bigger airplanes that I have, lemon receivers in, have the gyros, but I'm like Larry. I only use them occasionally when I get in the air. I don't take off with them. I land with them, but I don't usually take off with the gyro going. Usually, uh, that's what I do as well. I, I fly my plane, get it all trimmed out first. Then I turn the gyro on because sometimes the gyro might be out of whack. It may be too sensitive, not sensitive enough, and then all of a sudden you have no control. So I definitely like having a switch to turn it on or off and also get up about three mistakes high, then turn it on and see what it does. That's a really good idea. That's kind of the way I look at it. On the other hand, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I say I usually don't use it, but if I'm working with someone that's brand new, they just set up their plane and I've gone through it with them and I'm going to help them maintain it. And I know that it's got this particular gyro in it because I'm kind of encouraging a lot of the guys to try this to get used to it. When they do that, I'll go ahead and use it right off the bat. I just want to be able, if it, you know, like we took one of them up and we had too much sensitivity. He was running a seven channel radio. And so it didn't have the aux two or aux three, I'm sorry, the aux three setting needed uh, because you want to get that on eight and higher in spectrum. Um, and that's what they use to set the rate. You can actually set the gain remotely with a pot or a switch with three positions, uh, at three different degrees. It's nice. really cool the way that thing works. His particular one was uh, over overreacting. You could see a fluttering. And so I was able to uh, just shut the gyro off and fly it around until we landed it. We then had to go in and, Mike, you're familiar with this, with those controls or pots. You had to readjust the pots and get the ailerons cranked down a little bit so they weren't quite so sensitive for that particular uh, plane. If you do have a eight channel or more, you can just, you know, change your gain right on the fly. It's really, really handy. You don't have to bring planes down. Yeah, you have to be uh, like a microscope to get the pots, man. You have to have the world's smallest, the smallest <laughs> screwdriver. It, I actually have one in my bag, but it's uh, it's like an eyeglass screwdriver, and I could never, I could never see it, even with my glasses. I'm like, which way am I going? But I, I do like the fact that on my DX18 and when I had my DX9, I could put the gyro gain on my rotary knob. That way, when I'm flying, if it started to to act up. I could just rotate the the knob down and take exactly. some of that gain out. It was a very very good addition to that uh, exactly. that receiver. Awesome. Hey, one thing I really like about Lemon Two, uh, like when Larry was just saying how they were going from version one to version four, it happens really quickly. Uh, I noticed one thing about their company they're they're very responsive to what the customers are saying or what people are feedback they're getting and implementing it very quickly within six months. It seems to bring out new product or trying it on new products. I noticed that when we were going through those two, three, and four, it took actually over a period of like a month to two months as they were developing this thing on the front end. So it was very, very quick. Within within a year, they went from like one to four. I found that they were pretty quick at that, but I, I do know that as far as new products coming out, uh, there's a new product on the, on the market called an Aura 8. It will actually do a six-channel gyro. I mean, all six gyros. It, it runs everything. Uh, and I don't know if Lemon is, you know, looking towards that, but I've noticed that they've kind of stopped with that seven-channel. You mean stopping building on it or developing it further? What do you mean, Michael? The Aura 8 uh, can be up to a 42 channels. I mean, I can hook up everything, and it, it has the gyro in there. Where the Lemon comes as a – I have a 10-channel. But it doesn't have a gyro no, on it, I it don't believe. Ten channel doesn't. They only make the one gyro, and that's the six plus one or seven channel radio or <laughs> receiver. Right. Well, six plus yeah. one, yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> my math <laughs> skills, according to my fingers, six plus one equals seven. seven. But it's not seven. It actually is. You can uh, turn, don't use the gyro, and you get seven channels out of that. That's true. That that is true. That is correct. That's correct. But once once you do turn the gyro on, though, you lose you lose a little bit of that seven, or you lose the seventh channel. So if it was a flap or gear or whatever, in order to exercise it, you have to turn the gyro off and then lower the flaps or gear. And then if you turn the well, gyro but back you can on, get all, all, everything you need. You can get uh, on that with the gyro functioning. You still can get basic, you know, the aileron, elevator, flaps, throttle, rudder. That's uh, that's if all, if you have everything combined. So my F-18 is the EDF. I have two elevators, two rudders, two flaps, two ailerons, a throttle channel, a gear channel. So all of those kind of have to be wide in to, to the single channel where, where my Aura 8, or if I used it as a 10 or 11 channel, I, could, I can do all of that separately. I can put two ailerons in. I can put two rudders in, two elevators that way i can adjust everything individually individually yes doing sub trim and so forth correct and i and i prefer that when i fly i prefer to have everything on its own servo that i can you know kind of tweak it i don't really care about my park flyer stuff i just throw that in there but when i fly my bigger equipment my cubs and my katanas and my 3d airplanes that are larger 80 80 inches i want to be able to maximize and have multiple servos for control services so larry why do you think they only they stopped right with the seven how, how come they you know they have up to 10 channel rate uh receivers how come they don't think they added it in receivers higher than that seven well your guess is as good as mine i don't i don't know i have really no idea other than i would say the need you know the market i don't know if they would have you know for that kind of price range i just doubt if they can come up with anything else that's going to be that good uh, and I think they've expanded into telemetry, whereas, you yes. know, that you can buy a, a full telemetry unit from them for like uh, $33 now, which I just looked up the other day. And I thought some of that time's being spent there. Plus, they've gone into diversity. Um, before all, when Mike and I were, Michael and I were trying to do this, we were basically looking at DSM-2 receivers that they were selling. And the next year, um, I think in 15, they started coming out with DSMX, which is double the price, but 10 bucks, you know, for a fantastic uh, receiver. And then in 16, uh, early 16, and to now they're doing diversity antenna systems, which it'll find the best. It has two systems out there reading for signals. So you'll get in case one portion fails, it can pull from another just instantly. Um, those costs... I think about 14 or $15, but still, they've got a lot of capability. I think they're just trying to stay within a certain price range for all their stuff. Yeah, they're trying to stay within a certain price point with that. Now, the Diversity Antennas product that they've come out with, I've noticed that it has longer antennas. So are the long? is there a difference between the long antenna diversity antennas and the little park fire diversity antennas? Well, I think I might be able to, to handle that one. So the reason that, that they may be coming out with the ones with the longer whiskers is for guys who are flying quadcopters. And the reason they, 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 you want to have longer whiskers on a quadcopter is because it's generally made out of carbon. And so you need to get your whiskers out away from the carbon because the carbon absorbs the signal and it becomes a big 
you know, blocking mechanisms to the radio signals. So by having a, a little longer whisker that either stands up above or gets out 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 from behind the the carbon sheet or fiber, uh, then you know it can be seen much much better. So carbon the carbon fiber actually blocks the signal, as opposed to a just a regular like concrete. Bam! Stops it dead. <laughs> it's like a lead shield. <laughs> it's exactly like that. It's exactly like but it, it's not just normal carbon or a uh, composite like my glider is all carbon fiber but it has a small composite section where you can put your antenna right and that's the reason why they do that so if you notice that there with some of the spectrum they, there's one there, i don't remember the name of the receiver but it's got like really really long whiskers and it's specifically designed for going into carbon gliders and so it's so you can poke a hole underneath your glider, put those whiskers through so that they can be seen or else you're just putting it into a, uh, you know, uh, a lead shield, like you said, you know, as you're flying it. So, you know, you can't get beyond 30 feet. Now, do you need one on top or bottom or does it matter? I mean, if they're coming out the same way and they're going down the longitude or the long ways of your aircraft, how do you turn 190 and one? You know, well, you're, you, you won't, you won't, you won't be able to do that. You, it's, you know, it's your it, your aircraft isn't going to be big enough for unless you have a really really big plane. But for a glider or something like that, you're not going to get a you're not going to get a true 90, 90 degree like you normally would with the shorter ones. What a lot of guys do, and I'm sure you guys do it too on some years. You think about it, you use satellites. So you take a satellite receiver and add it to your main receiver, and you can set it with different. Polarized differently in the back of the fuselage or something like that, unless it's all carbon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's all it's all ball bearings these days. Yeah. So that's why they just want to have those whiskers hanging out free underneath the plane, you know, just in the airstream. So just you're not getting that. Like you said, you're not getting the best ninety degree like you like you'd want to. But both those whiskers hanging down, at least able to absorb some signal. Now, how how many satellites can you put on a receiver? Is there a limit? I don't I don't know that question that answer to that question. I I want to say I've seen some spectrum systems or receivers that you can put up to six or, or up to three additional satellites on. I I don't know about if you could have much more than that. The Aurora that you were talking about, Michael, it can handle two spectrum satellites in addition. It's got some capability. The the Aura 8 that I run on my Katana, it uh, it actually uses the satellite radio as the receiver. So I, ha- I have two of them, and they're both plugged in, and they sit 90 degrees to each other. And then the Aura 8 actually is like a controller board for a quad. It runs all my control surfaces. I can do all that stuff on the fly. Or I can actually sit on my computer, program it all in, and then when I stick it in the airplane, it works just perfect. And it has a gyro in it that I can either do a low, medium, or high, or none at all. Poof, like magic. I know, right? It is pretty impressive, but but I, I am a big I am a big lemon user. I, I really like those. I've kind of gravitated. I said on the last podcast that I did have an orange receiver, and I think I crashed the wing, what, twice, three times? Well, I, I've, I've gravitated to the lemons as well, because between you and I and uh, AK Mike, I think we've lost at least three to four aircraft. Two gliders for sure, like you said, the wing, and I think we just our general park flyer from from the oranges, just having not working or just losing bind, just doing weird things. 
Yeah, my wing. I think we were doing like speed runs with it, and that thing got down to almost over a hundred miles an hour. I lost signal, and it pitched right down and hit the ground doing over a hundred. It wasn't a pretty sight. Nope. And it made a very loud noise. <laughs> it did with contact with the ground. Everybody stopped who was walking around there. Just stopped and was like, "What was that?" Yes, they did. And I think the battery the battery was like ten feet from where the accident site happened. It was it was pretty bad. Luckily, though, I replaced it, and uh, now I'm using a lemon receiver in there as well. Larry's done some testing with all this. You, you mentioned this earlier. But, uh, what did you find out about the lemons in your test? Uh, the lemons tested out to two and a quarter miles as well. We could have gone further maybe, but that's how far we went. Proved that the polarity or polarizing was the same issue. I, I, that is what I'm saying, same as at, when comparing to the FreeSky type receivers. The thing is, so you could bring those in and fly them in this real noisy environment, and they don't ever drop out. I'm not saying never. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a challenge, folks. Don't go out there and, like, stand right next to the radio tower. We're going to prove Larry wrong. Yeah, we're going to prove him wrong. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We're headed to the field right now. <laughs> we, we've just had very good luck with those things. Um, and they're just uh, DSM-2s for the most part, except for that gyro which has only that one little antenna, and it's a DSA Max. I have found that I have not had one single failure with, with a DSA Max. <laughs> Come in. <laughs> I thought, somebody's knocking on the door. Somebody jinxed themselves. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Fight off the, the gremlins and demons. Right. They're coming. They're coming. That's right. But you, okay, so you haven't had any failure with the DSM X or the DSM 2? No, DSM 2s. We, we've, we, you know, we've had a couple times when things have happened that we're not sure exactly why. You know, we talk about this all the time. Was it pilot error? Was it some kind of interference? Did a uh, connection come loose? Did the battery fail? Which I've been going through a lot of that here lately with uh, T-connector issues. But anyway, that's, really? another, that's a whole other subject, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, another part. All right, well, 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 you brought it up. You brought up Larry, so we could let's we'll touch upon it just a little bit. So, what problems do you? Because I'm a T guy. So, what problems have you been having? I, I with you, Jay, am a T guy up until recently. I started out with you know all the different varieties, uh, JSTs and Ts, and any other uh, XT60s and bullets and AC3s, AC5s, and I mean you know it goes on and on and on. I've tried yeah. all kinds of them, but. Hobby King kind of forced you there for a while to go with uh, XD60s on most of their um, stuff because that's what came on their batteries. And until I got away from that, I was pretty much using XD60s. Well, I got tired of trying to pull them apart. And so I kind of started doing some adjustments to them. I would try to, you know, put in some kind of lubrication so that the nylon pieces wouldn't stick together. I tried crimping. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Did you do? Did you do that with the battery on it? Because that's a different. Oh, no, 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 no. No, the, no, the, the battery. Fortunately, <laughs> it has the has the female end. The male end was what I was on the on the each plane. I was just you know just bending them just a little bit until I found out that you can go too far and not know it, and then all of a sudden you'll be flying and they just quit working and down they come. Ooh. So. Ooh. Yeah, so don't ever do that. Don't don't mess with them. If you get the right versions of these things, they work well. But I had gone to four cell and six cells on some of the planes I got here now, Michael. Which you know, like my T twenty eight, I went to a four cell and I received a carbon Z from my son, and so 
He had bullets on it. I didn't want to go to bullets. But to make a long story short, I did get some batteries from Value Hobby, which came with uh, their version of the Dean's connector. It's not a true Dean's. It has a little friction bands on there so to help pull them apart. I'm sure you've seen them. Right. Yes. Yeah, they came with those. And so I take my T28, plug it in, and I go out with it. At the last second, just before I hit the runway, I wanted to make sure that it was working. It was gone. It had gone off. And so I reach inside, just touch the connector, and it went through its initialization report and touch it again, and it just kept falling out. Uh, so I had to change out those connectors um, to a point where what I think it is, it's on Dean's or the T's, I should say, connectors. They have that little spring on the bottom that has to push the contacts together. And uh, right. that spring on some of them does not have the quality it should. So after a few uses um, on that plane, it would then go flat and allow those to separate. I decided I didn't want to do that. And it's mainly only when you have rigid cables, with like 2200s and up. So you get mm -hmm. into real rigid cables and you're trying to fold that inside your areas you can get your canopy on and so forth. That's where you get into a problem with those connectors. And I have not had any problems since I switched to XD60s. And it doesn't matter. Whichever ones you want. Anything that's got those bullets that are inside a nylon housing so you have more things to hold it together. I think they just seem to work better for that application. If you don't have a situation where the wires are being manipulated or trying to be folded so you're torquing on that connector, you won't have an issue. I use XT60s. I've used them since the, the battery change came. But when I, I was a Dean's connector guy, and I found that I would, I would inevitably have a cold solder joint on a Dean. I don't know why. It's easier for me to solder the bullets than it would be to solder the Dean's. But I always, you know, something wouldn't work, and I'd be like, what the heck? And then the cable would come out my hand, or it, it would just be a cold solder joint. Right. And I was ready to say that's usually the problem that most people have with Dean's. Either they get cold solder joints or the opposite. When they're soldering the Deans together or they're, you know, putting the connection on, they have too much heat and they actually melt the housing. I've done that. So they melt the housing and therefore the, it can wiggle in there. And just the, the scenario that Larry just, just told, that little spring or that little, it's not actually a spring, but the tension that's on that bottom wire or flap or whatever it is, gets loose because it got melted in there. And so you don't get a good connection. So that happens as well. So, yeah, that does happen, guys. I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm a Dean's guy just because I'm hard-headed. I've done the whole connector thing, and then when they forced me to change, Hobby King went to that XT60. I just refused, and so I, I was just stuck with Dean's. And so it's just not out of a personal because it's way better or anything like that. It's just because I'm too lazy to switch all my stuff back over to XT60s. I'm just, I'm just going to wait till all my batteries die out and then i can just maybe then i'll make the change but right now no way and when he comes to my house i have a uh, an actual adapter so <laughs> <can use. laughs> i made like three adapters for him when he comes down here i just throw him in my bag it's like oh i don't have a battery you know to fit this anymore and he goes oh i do and i'm like oh you're a dean's connector versus xd60 luckily for me i have this neato you know it's only about two inches long but uh, that saved us more than once when I was pretty much out of batteries and he still had a couple left. So I snagged his batteries, but I will tell you though, that there's been huge discussions uh, on the boards and at RC groups. And I think the AMA actually had an article on uh, Dean's connectors. And I know Jay, when I was up there at your club, they brought this up too, is how much a Dean's connector can actually take as far as the amperage, because once you get over a four or five cell yes, battery, yes, that's, that's you very are, true. You really, that's very you true. really need to go 
you, you know, you, you really need to go to a bullet connector because my six cells, I think they have the EC5s on them because it's just, I mean, you can hear the spark when you put those things together. Yeah, sounds like your arc welding. <laughs> it really does. But I've, I have those and I have, the, what's the other one? The 100s. Uh, that come with the like they spin together. Uh, they're actually separate. They're not in a connector. Oh, uh, AS AST uh, 100s, I think is what they call them, or AS AS 100s. But they have like a spark arrestor on it, and uh, that's what I use for the anything larger than a six cell. Right, and uh, I and I do kind of the same thing. Mostly any any plane that I have that has the six cell, I I I use the bullet connectors. So I don't use my deans for anything above six, five or six cells. That whenever I use them, only up to about four cells. That's all I I use. Deans I, on. I think I think they're limited. If I if I'm not remembering this correctly, I think they are limited to forty five to sixty amps. Yeah, I think it's below I think eighty. Anything below eighty, you could use. I them. I think it's below eighty. That's that sounds that sounds right. So may, maybe uh, that that could be a problem too, there, Larry. If you're using them on a larger six cell. Well, I'm sitting here listening to all this, and when I received this, the Sun had taken off the X, the AC3s, which are rated for, I don't know, 50 amps or so. And that's what came on the Carbon Z. He took those off and put on bullets that were the 6-millimeter type, 160-amp capable. Oh, power. Big. Well, yes. so I took those back off. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now you guys that are familiar with big batteries, I wasn't. And so you look inside this plane and you see these two connectors floating around in there and the connectors on the battery are floating around and they could go together where they shouldn't be. The, the, you could actually plug the battery into itself, which wouldn't be good. If you're trying to look inside, you had to make sure as you're grabbing the right components, if, if, if your leads aren't real long and it's hard to see, you know, down inside the carbon C, it's a little hard to see down in there. And, and the way they got the ESC position and everything, they just aren't long enough. So I went to an XT60 in that last week when I had a chance. And even though I hate XT60s, I still like them better in that huge environment. You know, six cells, this thing can develop 1,200 watts, 1.2 horsepower. Wow. But that's still, if you work it out with the voltage, it only is about 45 amps. So it's, you know, it's well within the range of the 60 amp XC60s. That's what they're rated at. 60 and the new ones, by the way, they just came out with are 65 amps. Yeah, they also came out with an XT90. Yeah. I think there's a 90 amp one. And yeah. It's a little bit larger for bigger. Uh, and it has a spark arrestor in it as well. Yep, you can get them with it. I, I, haven't, used, I haven't used any of those, but... Uh... While we're talking about these, I will tell you that Jay and I both use, and I don't know, Larry, you can uh, chime in if you use one, but uh, we actually have a neat little unit that sits on the bench, and it actually has holes for all of the, from from like one all the way to six bullet connectors, and then the XT60 Deans, XT90s. You basically, you push it down in there, and it'll hold your connector in place while you solder it on there. It's very, very easy, and it's very neat, and it's made out of, I think a, a rosin and so it doesn't collect any heat and it won't melt your housing because you know when you have the the helping hands or the little alligator clips occasionally you'll touch the plastic and of course your soldering iron is hot and so it melts some of the plastic but this will actually hold all of the plastic and then you can just heat up the tip of it and uh, and push the wire straight down into the solder so I have two different types I know Jay has one because I got it for Christmas <laughs> <one>. but, uh, <laughs> 
it works very, very well. I'll try to post a website uh, link to it, uh, or at least a picture so you can kind of see it. But they're very, very good soldering uh, aid. Pretty much I agree with you. I've seen those as well. Um, I, I haven't purchased one. I just saw one the other day and I was thinking, I'm to get one of those. But what I've been doing is I take a, an old set of connectors and so if I'm soldering the male version of an XT60, I plug the female version into the other side and it's already got um, oh, it's already got smart. insulation protecting it so that you know nothing can short together just in case I you know it fell against something or whatever. It's, so it's protected. And that indi- that tells me don't solder on this one, solder on the other side. Because <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, solder them backwards. Oh, I've done that. I've done it where I've taken the mating <laughs> sections and put them together so it would protect it from heat. But then I'd solder it to the wrong one. So I finally decided to put some kind of shriek tubing on uh, the one that's just used for the purpose of pulling off some of that heat, so you don't damage the shell or whatever on the other side. I, I had a battery. Um... Well, actually, I had I had an ESC and I, I I soldered it, and I actually buy the silicone wire to solder you know my own when I I up the wire a little bit, and so I had the battery on one side. I did the same thing you're talking about, Larry. I put the two together and I soldered the black wire on the red side and the red wire on the black side. Accidentally, I wasn't really thinking about it, but then when I went out to the field to fly this thing and I went to go plug it in, I'm standing there with this plug in one hand and the battery in the other, going. Well, this can't be right. This can't be right. This does not look right at all. And I, I, I didn't fly that day because I, I was real nervous about plugging this thing in because I was I couldn't remember if I plugged it in the wrong side polarity wise. Now if I do that again, I just use either two black wires on the east. Oh, so you so you mean there was no magic smoke that came out? There was no poof of flames or nothing? No magic no, there was nothing. I, I got a little nervous because it was a bigger battery. It was one of my six cell batteries and those are expensive and they will start a big ass fire, so you got to be very, very careful. Yeah, I, I, I always hate getting that little solar spot when you plug those things in, or you get a spark, or you, you're doing something and you, 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 you take your screwdriver and you put it across the connectors by accident, or you do something like that, and you see that big blue spot for the next half hour. That's always a pain. Right. It, it makes it kind of tough to uh, fly because your airplane disappears <laughs> while you're looking in the air. Hey, where'd that go? It's in my blind spot. Uh, Welding. Oh, that's too funny. So, Larry, you talked about our podcast on radios. Was there anything that you wanted to touch on that you didn't agree with other than the things we've talked about already? But was there something that really kind of stood out? Uh, No, you guys uh, hit fan. I thought it was fantastic. Everything I heard, except for what we talked about, I agreed with. I think we pretty much hit on the radios being Two different, you know, the generation differences makes for uh, why you can't do certain things with one, but the new uh, Gen 2s and 3s, you can do this, this, and this, but you can't necessarily copy uh, one model to, a, um, you know, from a, a 9 to a 7 or something like that. Like Larry, can you expand upon that a little bit? Because there, you had mentioned something earlier, at least to us, uh, off, off podcast about that. Do you have any more information on how the airware works? I mean, is that that's their new system, right? Did they change something from the old way to to the airware? Well, not so much that. It's just that now, when you if you want to work on voice and you want to add voice, it's they've got the same categories and everything, all the same from a six through a seven, which they don't make anymore. They made it for one year, the Gen two, the eight, nine, 
And as you, you hit on this in your last podcast, you know, the, the 18 and the 20. So all the voice systems are real similar now. If I go in and set mine up that I like to have this particular flaps, you know, initiate or gyro initiated and all this kind of stuff, you can do that on any of the radios. They're all the same now. As you know, when you drop in to do travel, sub trim, and all those settings, they're all in the same place. I, I can grab a six and find it in pretty much the same area on, on the new sixes, which makes it so much easier than trying to remember how, how do you set flaperons up on a six I totally different, you know? So I really right. enjoy the fact that if I'm going to help somebody, I don't have to try to remember how I did it on this old radio I had three years ago. <laughs> Very similar. And I, and I think the wireless buddy box works on all of those as well. So you don't have to go in and figure out different settings for each radio. You know, that's a whole nother story too. You've got, you got pilot link masters and, and programmable master and all that. You got two or three different ones that you can use. And they vary tremendously. When Luke, uh, my son and you know, in Arizona down there, Juno, got the nine before me, I had the six I and we had to, uh, he was using programmable master, which meant that I had to put that model pretty much on my uh, radio as well as on his. And everything had to be just perfect. We almost lost a plane when I switched over. Uh, I had something different. I'd, I'd mess with the uh, mix somewhere on my version. And that... <laughs> Surprise! Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when we flipped to mine and I threw that switch, it just went straight down like a rocket, you know, and he was able to take it back and get it, get it fixed because, as you know, you can make it take, back, make, take it back just by moving any of those control surfaces. But if you use the pilot link setting, you basically are just talking from one radio to the other and you keep, sorry, you keep everything on the main radio. Let's say that I have all my planes and I'm going to let my other son fly it. He can fly anything I've got. He can just bind with the, what he has as a trainer. So he just goes to trainer. I've allowed him to have just the four main functions, you know, throttle, elevator, ailerons, and flap. I mean, uh, rudder. And so he can fly and do everything, but I can sit there and change trim. I can do everything on my model without him changing anything and affecting that or having any issues. He doesn't have to go through and set that all up each time. Have you guys played with that much? I, I've played a little bit with the uh, Buddy Box. I usually do the just the pilot, the wireless, you know, where I can just take controls. I did, however, set up one of the switches with audio so that when I flip the switch, it says student has control or instructor has control. Exactly. And that, that way the person next to me knows whenever they don't know when I actually take control of it, but they know when I give it back to them because it says student has control. It, it works out really well that way because it, it helps them and, and they understand that they're flying and, and uh, that they have control. I, I haven't really done what you're talking about though, where I've used the pilot link. I, I, that's a little no, I think, I think Michael, we're talking about the same functions. It's just that when you go into buddy, what you call buddy box mode or trainer mode, it has, it has two settings that you can select. You can select programmable mode or you can select pilot link master. If you go with the pilot link master and use it instead, then you have to make no changes whatsoever to the buddied radio. You just have, you know, yours is all set up, ready to go, and you can then give him which controls you want him to have. Like maybe you don't even want him to have the aler uh, ailerons. Just make him fly on the rudder like we've talked about. You yes. can turn that off, and so he doesn't have that that right stick over there. Even though you got ailerons, the ailerons function won't work. 
All he has is the other. So you can take the aileron on yours and kind of move it around a little bit to correct things once in a while and so forth. So you don't have to just take it back completely. A lot of neat things you can do with it. But the main thing is you don't, all your trims, all your settings, all of your flaps, all your custom switches, your voices, and everything you have, it all functions. You don't have to put it on his radio at all. So it functions for the airplane that he's flying. So do you bind, you bind his radio to your radio, correct? You don't bind. So he, he's got his, like if I just walked up to the park and somebody was said, hey, I got this T-28 Trojan from E-Flight and I've got a Spectrum DX9 and, mm-hmm. you know, they're learning to fly. I can actually just uh, turn my radio on and bind his radio to mine and all his settings stay the same. No, no, it's the other way around. The master radio has to be connected directly to the receiver. You then are binding your student radio to the radio that's connected to the receiver it's the other way around you would have to actually bind yours let him hold your radio and you would then be flying his because it's all set up it's all trimmed out and everything yes you're right It is a little bit of a different feel. My radio is just slightly larger, and the gimbals are a little bit different. But uh, no, that's a good point. Yeah, he's bragging. He's bragging. Don't don't fall for it, Larry. He's bragging. Yes, yeah, so those commoners who may only have a DX9 or <clears throat> a six. <laughs> of course, it's not going to feel the same as my 18. I can barely feel your radio when I'm holding it. Yes, yes. <laughs> T. I detect a little jealousy there, don't you? Uh, boys. <laughs> You know, that's the best part about this podcast. We can just rail on each other. We still love each other. <laughs> and like and you do have the ability to edit. Yes. Yes. That is correct. So. We do have that. That's why yes, we sound indeed. terrific on the radio. I mean, on the podcast. <laughs> yes, Always perfect. Yeah. So I was going to ask Larry. So therefore, let's say we both have the same glider now. So I know like if we both have DX9s, I can email you the settings for my glider to you and you can put them on your radio and they should work right so if i have mine all trimmed out everything ready to go voice all that kind of stuff i could send you email you that setting you could load it up into your radio and you could fly it but now i thought now that all that all the systems six through 20 use the airware that once again if i mailed somebody my glider to somebody who has a, a dx6 it doesn't it doesn't go across it doesn't work that way and, and is, is that what I understand when I was talking to you before? Or, or That's correct. For instance, my son has a had the Carbon Z before he gave it to me. And a friend of mine here got a new Carbon Z, and I was asked if I would help him set it up and maintain it for him. So I asked my son to mail me his file, and then I took that file and I put it on my radio, and we then set it all up, got it all working. I was then going to be the main person flying and we took the student who's actually playing it was and he in turn then connected or bound to my radio so i was able to take off give him control he flew it around a while and i landed it so everything was great we decided we had all the trim right and of course you have to change the trim and you have to watch out for sub trim and all that kind of stuff because because his his uh obviously was different than this new one so we had to take that part out. But otherwise, yes, you can do what you said. 
Also, we did change a few things, like you got to be careful. Where do you put your, uh, as you know, on a DX9, you can use any switch for whatever you want. So where do you put your throttle cut? My son puts his on the right side. I put mine on the left side. And so we had to. <laughs> problem. <laughs> That's a problem. Why won't, it, why won't it shut off? Yeah, so you, you got that. And he uses his switches different for flaps and everything. I mean, that's the beauty. You can customize those radios to your liking. But it also can present a little bit of a challenge. We have to change a bunch of things around. But anyway, we got it all working. So I thought, I'm just going to put this on my card. Uh, this uh, SPF, SBM, whatever that file is. Then put it in my friend's. Uh, DX7, new DX7. So we said import, and it said ant error. There was a problem with one particular thing, and I can't remember what, I could look at my radio, I could tell you what it is, but that particular one had an error would wouldn't allow me to do that import. So I couldn't do it. Wow, that's disappointing. That was to me too. I thought maybe, you know, if nothing else, okay, fine, that isn't going to work. You can't import that function. Fine, you know, work around it. So, but it, But it wouldn't let you import anything though, right? Correct. It just voided the entire import. Well, that kind of stinks. Well, I wonder if it's just like uh, any time you have a radio that's higher than you are. Like maybe if you were importing from his DX7 to your 9, it probably would work. But maybe whenever you try to go from a higher radio with more channels to a lower radio, it doesn't allow you to do that. That's very possible. Yeah, it'd be worth checking out anyway, at least. you know. Jay mentioned that you could. You said something earlier about your aircraft being all trimmed up, and then you could just kind of copy it. But the trims actually will come across, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your airplane will be trimmed correctly. Because if your if your exactly. hardware is set up differently, uh, you have a servo that's turned the wrong way, or you have a longer arm, or something like that, you will get those particular settings. But it may it may exercise that servo differently. Well, we appreciate you joining us here on the uh, Park Flyer podcast to talk about our receivers and radios. Our special guest, Larry. Uh, we appreciate you being on the podcast with us, Larry. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a pleasure. So for Larry in Colorado Springs and me here in Arizona. And Jay in the AK. We appreciate you joining us, and we hope to see you on the next podcast. Good night. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Park Flyer Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to your next visit. Please give our show a star rating and review, and feel free to email us your questions, topics, or suggestions to parkflyerpodcast at gmail.com.